Welcome to Your Partner in Success Radio, a program that values the potential of knowledge, collaboration, and growth. The show is hosted by Denise Griffiths, who is known as an intensely curious nerd in stilettos. Each Wednesday, she is joined by co-host Ben Gay III, a renowned figure in the sales world. Ben is recognized for introducing The Closers, one of the most popular and powerful sales training materials ever produced. Having been mentored by Dr. Napoleon Hill himself, Ben has gained a wealth of knowledge in sales and life. Throughout the show, Denise and Ben delve into the world of sales, entrepreneurship, and success, exploring Ben's vast experience from guiding and mentoring countless professionals to achieve unparalleled success in their careers. Together, they offer unmatched guidance to listeners seeking success in their professional endeavors. Griffiths and Ben Gay, the third on your partner in Success Radio. And today we are opening up The Closers Part 2, page 153, which is titled, Just Fly the Plane, Son. Just fly the plane. And you're going to know why that's the title in just a bit. But here's a problem. All but the highest level of salespeople suffer from, drumroll, distraction. We all do. We're easily distracted. So the focus today is on sales professionals and the art of dealing with those distractions And Ben is going to delve into the world of master closers, excuse me, and the intricacies they face in their line of work. Sales situations often involve a multitude of factors, and these factors are occurring simultaneously, many of which are hidden from the salesperson and just beyond their control. So Ben explains the significance of these challenges and how adept salespeople must navigate through them. And it's really all about understanding that successful salespeople need to possess a skill. This is important, the skill to manage these these distractions effectively while keeping their objectives in sight. And this involves being attuned to the customer's needs. We've talked about this a lot. Being aware of the various dynamics at play and maintaining control over the sales process despite external influences. In essence, this chapter underscores the importance of adaptation adaptability. I can say that word, adaptability. I can say it twice, not three times. Awareness and strategic thinking for sales professionals who aspire to become accomplished sales closers. And by the way, if you don't have, excuse me, I need to cough. By the way, if you don't have what are widely considered the sales Bibles, the closers parts one and two in your entrepreneurial library, you can order directly from Ben and he will share that link before we say goodbye for the day. So Ben, good morning. It's always good to have you with me on Wednesdays. Good morning, Denise. How are you? I'm here and I'm, <laughs> but I, I always look, look, I love doing my podcast. As you know, I broadcast on Mondays and you know Fridays. Wednesdays is our day. That's when I get to talk with you and you are, and I've said it a hundred times before, I have five top favorite people in the world in Europe there. You're in the top two. And I'm not telling you who one is. It fluctuates. It depends on what's going on. But you have always, always been one of my favorite people. And I thoroughly enjoy Wednesdays because of you. Well, the feeling is mutual. And uh, as soon as I find out how the, who the other person is in the top two, I'm going to have him knocked off. <gasps> I don't need direct competitors. <laughs> All right, fine. I'll tell you who it is. It's Jim Tunney. 
Yeah, you've told me before. Ah, no, Jim, he's a fabulous, fabulous man. For those of you who don't know who Jim Tunney is, he's known as the Dean of NFL Referees. And he is one of the smartest, kindest, most wonderful people that I've ever met. But And he's 91 years old. He runs circles around me. You know, he'll tell me things that happened, oh, geez, 40 years ago. And I'm thinking, what did I have for lunch? Did I have lunch? (laughs) (laughs) I cannot keep up with him or you. In fact, he was the one that, you know, we're talking about the Hawaii fires right now. And and he was the one, he called me, said, are you paying attention to what's going on in Maui? And I said, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't watch the news or, you know, I'll, I'll check in with what's going on at the end of the day, but that's pretty much it. And he was paying attention because he was very good friends with Jim Neighbors, Gomer Powell. Mm-hmm. He would spend a lot of time in Hawaii. Jim and his wife would go travel over there and spend time with Jim and Jim's husband over the years. So, you know, it was important to him to see what was going on over there. But, you know, anyway, you guys, you fluctuate all sometimes all on the same day, just so you know, I don't have favorites. <laughs> yeah. You just shot me that. That uh, Jim is ninety one. He I, is. I, yeah. I, I, doesn't make any difference. I know people who are older than that and sharper and and uh, so or as sharp but older, and uh, uh, but it's just a number I didn't expect. I thought he was my age or younger. So, uh, but he has a storied career, and I happen to he does know a lot of people that were in and around the NFL. Uh, I had the entire Washington Redskins team knock on the door one night. We were doing an encounter type seminar at Ricky's Hyatt House in Palo Alto, California. And there was a lot of yelling and screaming going on and so on and had been for four days. Finally, there's this knock on the door, which was unallowed. You know, nobody in, nobody out. Who would have the audacity to knock on the door? I opened the door and I thought there'd been an eclipse of the moon. Uh, <laughs> the uh, All the light was blocked and there were, you know, like 15 or more guys, all of them huge standing there. And they said, can we come in? And I said, yeah, who are you? We're the Washington Redskins. Vince Lombardi had just joined them. And uh, so I, uh, it, it just felt right. So I said, yeah, come on in. And they walked into a room where in an encounter seminar, it's it's not chairs all lined up, you know, squared and uh, went up to the front of the room. And I, I said, you want to know what's going on, on here? Yes. Ask your questions. And then the class got to ask them questions. And uh, Tunney and others were brought up in those conversations who were some of the legendary people that you know and what was the good news and the bad news and so on. And the thing that I found with the, with the players, and it spilled over to the referees, many of the referees had been players uh, in high school, college, and a few in the NFL, uh, but the, the gentleness of them through a fluke, I was raised in Atlanta, and live Atlanta wrestling, the forerunner to the professional wrestling wrestling you see today was based in Atlanta and the Blassie brothers. They were like gorgeous George, you know, with the bleached hair and all oh. uh, were uh, a big deal in town. And they joined Holiday Magic Cosmetics. They did. Uh, yeah, as distributors. 
And I was struck by how nice they were. And they introduced me to another guy who became a holiday magic distributor, Cowboy Bill Watts. He was an All-American out of Oklahoma, but then a professional wrestler. And I have never been around sweeter, kinder people, especially when you compare it to their public image, their persona, than professional wrestlers and NFL football players. I guess they're big enough and strong enough where they don't have to bluster and carry on. That's just, as soon as you see them, it's assumed. And uh, I was going into a restaurant one day in Los Angeles and bright sunlight. So when you go into the dark room, you can't see for a minute. Well, I opened the door and walked in and hit a huge cushion. I felt like I'd walked into a mattress no light behind it and I backed up and it was Rose, uh, Rosie Greer Roosevelt Greer who was the size Wasn't, of you know, the refrigerator right That's, yeah okay I, I remember him talking about him and uh, bumped into him and and I said oh I'm sorry and he picked me up by each arm and about a foot off the ground turned around and put me down in the restaurant and he said that's okay little feller <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I'm I'm 5'10 on a good day and weigh 165 pounds. Uh, he could have eaten me and not noticed. Now, aren't you glad he didn't pat you on the head? He probably <laughs> yeah. I'll drag you into a wall. But anyway, Tunney runs with an ran and probably still in contact with an interesting crowd, almost to a person totally unlike their persona. He has always said that. Listen, I talk with him almost daily, have done for years. I mean, he's one of my very dearest friends. And he tells, like you, some of the most fascinating stories. And I've been after him for the longest kind of time, much like I'm getting after you. You need to write an autobiography. You need to share these stories. And he tells stories about, you know, Frank Sinatra. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, you know, people that we know who they are. He, he told a story one time he was in, he was a speaker, as you know, very well known mm-hmm. speaker. And he had, he was doing a, a gig or a speech. I don't know what you call them, but he, anyway, he was in Las Vegas. And so was Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra was, was playing there and he went to, I guess uh, one of the stores in the, in the mall and the, I don't know, casinos. I try not to go to places like that, but he went and he bought the most recent record of Frank Sinatra's and he went to a, a phone, a house phone. And he said, listen, I'm not trying to, to meet Mr. Sinatra, but if I could, could I leave this record somewhere? And could he sign it for me? You know, sign the cover. Mm-hmm. And you know, he, that was it. He He stopped and he still was carrying the record around, just kind of, wandering through vegas and all of a sudden he gets a call will jim tunney please come to the house folks he said oh, oh. <laughs> what have i done and this voice says where are you where tell me where you are and jim's like well i'm standing right here and this guy comes running up to him hugs him it was the manager for frank sinatra he said frank is dying to meet you he will not watch football unless you're on the field Wow. And they became fast friends, very good friends. Wow. That's nice. Sinatra, I know people who knew him. I, I never shook his hand, but uh, he's like several people I've known over the years. He could be, the legends say, he could be the nicest, sweetest human on earth. 
uh, would turn his life upside down to help you through a situation. And or he could be the biggest jackass on the planet. And uh, they said, so you had to sort of pick your day or more importantly, your situation. Because you would you would love to have Sinatra as a friend. You would hate to have have him as an enemy. And uh, the stories are are legend. <laughs> yeah, Le- legend. Of- yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, the the good ones I would repeat. Some of the bad ones I wouldn't. But I had a, a dear friend named Fred Pape, who was the amateur version of Sinatra couldn't have been nicer more generous you could just you just wanted to hug him and or he might try and kill you well so, that de- would de- I depended would on the day <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so anyway jim runs and ran with a very interesting crowd i would love to uh if you can get us all together on the phone let me talk, see if I can talk him into doing it. Because nowadays you don't have to write a book. You talk and no. somebody else will write it. Well, and that's what we've been doing, you know, for a couple of years now. He'll he'll start telling me stories. I'm like, whoa, 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 back up. And I'll start trying to scribble it down or record it. So we've got some of it done, but he's got so much to share. The people that he knew, the people that he's worked with. And I'm going to tell you what I have never ever heard from Jim is a bad word about anybody just doesn't happen he's from everything I've heard a neat guy we've appeared together but you know like a five-day seminar where somebody's on Monday morning and leaves town and you're on Wednesday afternoon So, so you never meet I have friends in the speaking business that we have shared stages for 40 years and have maybe met in the last five years or not at all, uh, become telephone uh, friends and social media friends. You were talking about him getting paid. I'm older and not everybody gets it. But uh, one of the things I like to do in airports is have Judge Crater uh, paged. Judge Crater reports for the cell phone. So on. Judge Crater was a judge on the East Coast somewhere, I believe, who was doing criminal trials all day. And he went out for lunch one day and that was it. No one ever saw him again. No one found oh. his body, nothing. Oh no. So when I paged Judge Crater in airports, older folks got to have a little gray, will stop, look up at the speaker, shake their head and go on. <laughs> and and uh, they get it. The young people are wondering who this stupid Judge Crater is. It doesn't know how to answer a page. I would have not known. I would have just gone about my business. (laughs) Exactly. Well, if you ever hear Judge Crater Page, A, you're in on the joke, and you know, B, that Ben Gay is somewhere in that airport. (laughs) I'd be hunting you down. (laughs) And and the other other one. I I would be all over looking for you. If there's a young hostess in a restaurant who I've never met before, and they need to take our name for a moment. Uh, I always say, uh, you know, let's say there's four of us. I'll say uh, Donner Party of Four. And the young kids will write it down. Well, Donner Party. Oh, geez. 30 miles from where I'm sitting now. Uh, I know. Ate each other on a bad winter. Yes, they did. <laughs> the Donner Pass. I've traveled that road many times yeah, in but, the winter. That's Don't do that, by the way. Don't well, do when it. I, when I can get the young hostess to say Donner 
party of four, invariably an older, wiser manager will come out of the back and you see him whispering in her ear <laughs> and then she turns bright red. You can only get them with Donner once. You have to find <laughs> find new victims. You want to get into how to fly the plane, son? I do. And listen, to anybody who's listening to us, you're going to hear these stories. We've got them. Ben's got them. <laughs> I've got questions. You know, we're never going to just dive into it and go, well, and here we are, the closers part two. We may get to it. We may not. <laughs> but we're going to tell a lot of terrific stories and interspersed into all the, the kind of chatting and laughing there are lessons for you to learn. So we really are here to help. So let's do talk about the focus today on sales professionals, because honestly, you can get distracted for the darndest reasons. So I'm going to mute myself and you take the mic. All right. Well, don't don't go too far. I'm right here. All right. Uh, the chapter that I'll be referring to today is on page 153 of the closers part two. It's called Just Fly the Plane, son. Just Fly the, the Plane. I had a little background in uh, uh, aviation before I moved up to this area and took flying lessons. Uh, the owner of Holiday Magic Cosmetics, of which I was president of it and all of its subsidiary companies, <clears throat> got into flying. Uh, one of those things where we had too much money. And so we did things that put you in jeopardy. In his case, he wound up flying into the mountain up at our ranch in Clear Lake, California, in a P-51 Mustang and uh, hit so hard he was identified by teeth and long bones. But prior to that, uh, we bought a Cessna dealership uh, where I, of course, go out and take free lessons. But I was busy running the company, making money to subsidize all of Bill Patrick's hobbies, the 3,500-acre ranch, the Air Force we built, uh, and uh, the, the big yacht in Sausalito, California, et cetera, et cetera. So I didn't have time or chose not to take the time to go flying. My wife, she's now passed away, my first wife, Marsha, did and was in the Powder Puff Derby, uh, Amelia Earhart's uh, uh, invention with a group called the 49ers. And uh, so I was around aviation. I was paying the bills. We had the only flying B-29 in the world at the time, the Fertile Myrtle. That was the plane that dropped Chuck Yeager out of its belly in his X-1 rocket plane where he broke the sound barrier for the first time. And, uh, and I got to meet Chuck Yeager because he liked to come over and visit the B-29. And his favorite plane on earth was the P-51, and we had one of those. So uh, it, it was an interesting time, sort of like Jim Tunney where, Tunney, where you get in the middle, you get in the catbird seat, and you meet Sinatra. If he were not an NFL football player, uh, you know, referee, he wouldn't have met Sinatra. Uh, if I hadn't been president of Holiday Magic Cosmetics, I wouldn't have met Dr. Napoleon Hill, Earl Nightingale, and all the people that became my friends and buddies. So there's something to be said about being in the catbird seat. Therefore, I learned a lot about aviation, paying its bills, stay out of a the aviation business, by the way. I put, I put a president out there. If you if you fell on my blacklist, I made you president of Spectrum Air, what I used to call Rectum Air, and uh, I, I would make you president of it and say turn a profit. 
One day, one of our people who was a finance guy in the cosmetic company was president and he turned a $3,500 profit. We had 42 airplanes, a flight school, a Cessna dealership. He turned a $3,500 profit and I sent him and his then fiance to Hawaii for a week. He said, the trip costs far more than the profit. I said, that's okay. It's the first time I've ever sat in a board meeting of Spectrum Air and saw the bottom right number on the last page not be in brackets, which is a loss. So you're a winner, $3,500, but you're a winner. So I leave Marin County, move up to the area we are now in, the gold country area. Uh, gold was discovered seven miles from where I'm sitting now. Sutter Creek, right? Uh, well, no, Sutter Creek is the other way, but it's, oh, Sutter, right. it's Sutter's Mill. Right, right, right which is the structure that sits on the American River where John Marshall picked up the nugget and uh, set off the California gold rush and developed the West Coast, basically. So uh, I knew the fringes of the aviation business. And then I decided to take flying lessons at a, a local, uh, the Placerville, excuse me, the Cameron Park Airport, about 10 miles down the road from where I'm sitting now. And uh, Marsha, my late wife, was saying, you had 42 airplanes at your disposal and, and more than that, counting the ones we rented out by the hour uh, at your disposal. You had an entire flight instructor team and it was all for free. And now we're up here and you're paying fifteen hundred dollars or whatever it was in those days, 35 years ago to uh, get a pilot's license. There's something wrong with this picture. <laughs> she wasn't wrong. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know what happened, Ben. You yeah. didn't sell yourself on the need to have that pilot's license. Right. So this is all your fault, right? It is. Okay, it I is. agree like, with Marsha. Like, like most things in marriage, I've discovered, they're <laughs> all my fault. Well, there you go. But anyway, one day we're walking out to the plane. I'd had a few little fly arounds. Uh, prior to that and was getting ready to solo. Uh, and you mentioned license. After all this, I never got a license. I soloed four or five times. And I remember the last time I came back, I landed and I thought, okay, got that out of my system. You know, there's some people who fly and they never think about another thing in their lives, but flying, they're not alive unless they're flying. I found it interesting, like getting a new Ford truck you only need to drive it three or four times and you pretty much got it figured out. So uh, I soloed three or four times, parked the plane and never flew again in a plane I was piloting. But on the way out to the plane one day, I'm just getting ready to solo. Bob Williams, my flight instructor, uh, said to me, uh, okay, you're going up again. Let me just run some things by you. And among the things he ran by me were in rattlesnake country. I know several people have been bitten by rattlesnakes. I've seen two or three of them on our property, once on our back porch and so on. So he said, so I'm paraphrasing, but the gist of it was you're flying along, you're 3,500 feet and you look down and there's a rattlesnake by your foot. What do you do? And I said uh, something, to, you know, well, uh, stomp on its head or do this or do that. I forget all the clever things I came up with. 
and uh, then he, he you know, I remember one of them was open the door and shoo him out. This is in Cessna at 3,500 feet. I'm going to open the door and shoo a rattlesnake out. With what? I don't know. My hand. <laughs> you know. Uh, but I came up with several ludicrous things because I was focusing on don't get bitten by the rattlesnake. And then he threw two or three other scenarios at me, all of which I got wrong because what he was looking for is the title of the chapter. Just fly the plane, son. Just fly the plane. He said, we have snake venom back at the, at the, in the, in the hangar, you know, in the fixed base operation. Uh, we can't do anything for you if you get bitten until you land the plane. So fly the plane. Then he gave me examples of the uh, hillsides being littered with the bones of amateur pilots who flew into a hillside while staring at the altimeter, wondering if they were at the right altitude or whatever, instead of flying the plane. And the reason this whole thing is in the sales book, the closers part two, uh, is that salespeople get in those situations all the time. Their job is to, and I'll just cut to the end, to make a sale. It might be to make a contact, to make a friend, to do this, or get a meeting or whatever. But the end result, if you're a salesperson, somewhere down the line is to make the sale, either that day or after another few setup meetings or whatever, make the sale. But they walk in with a pre-prepared presentation, which is fine if they can deliver it well and where it doesn't sound like they're reading and something goes wrong. You know, it could be a call from the man's wife saying the kid broke his arm at school, or it could be an, a true objection to the product. And maybe it was one of those, or service, maybe it was one of those objections or uh, situations that the salesperson has been dreading. They, they wait for the other shoe to drop. Uh, the uh, if you're selling Rolls Royces, the salesperson's standing where the person can't see the sticker in the window because he wants him sold on the car before he sees that the starter kit's three hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars. So if the guy says, "God, I just glimpsed the the uh, sticker," that's the snake in the airplane. Ah, it has come off the rails. This is the thing you didn't want to encounter, the thing you may or may not be prepared for, but it's the snake in the airplane. And just fly the plane means to salespeople the same thing. You're there to make a sale. Uh, again, you're in the sales process, whether it's going to be today or next week is immaterial. You're there to make a sale. So make the sale. Stay focused on that. Don't get caught up in the snake is under your seat. And now we'll distract ourselves from flying the airplane. John Denver, the singer, rented an airplane from us. And as best they could figure, what happened was the uh, uh, gas gauge didn't read right or something. And in this particular plane, the switch to go to an alternate uh, tank was behind him between two seat backs. And uh, he turned to, as best they can figure, turned to switch to the other tank and got distracted. Maybe it didn't turn right or he wasn't sure it turned. I don't know what happened, but he hit the water fiddling with that switch. 
he forgot to fly the the plane. plane. Right. And uh, I didn't realize that was one of your planes. I remember when he when he was in that when he was killed. Yeah. Bill Graham, the great uh, rock and roll promoter that used to do the the big shows with Janis Joplin and and whoever the popular bands were at the time, uh, rented a helicopter from us. And I don't know a story to go with it, but he was coming in uh, and I think he had a pilot with him and flew in too low over the power lines that surrounded Noss Field, the airport we ran for the county, hooked the wheels on the tower, flipped over everybody, and it was killed. Uh, somebody wasn't flying the helicopter. Uh, they maybe were concentrating on where they were going to go that night or looking too far ahead at the landing spot or whatever, but they weren't in the moment, in the situation, flying the plane. They lost focus. Yeah, and, that, and that's a great way to sum it up because uh, in selling, uh, I was asked one day in a seminar, what are the three greatest things Dr. Napoleon Hill ever taught you? And God was with me that day. I was able to come up with three. I could have come up with 500 given time. But when someone says, quick, tell me the three most important things, you think, oh, God. Um, But what came up was number one, integrity in all things. That's what he taught me. Number three was action. Number two was focus. Integrity, focus, take action. So Dr. Hill taught me sort of what Uh, Bob Williams, the flight instructor, was trying to teach me uh, in a flying lesson, and it fits into so many aspects of life, whether you're raising a family, trying to keep a husband or wife happy and together and with you and so on. It takes focus. It takes attention. And if you get distracted by other things, it all goes down, down the toilet. So, yeah. yeah, and something else I wanted to catch just before it got away from me because I just wrote it down though. Something that we have talked about on this podcast that he taught you, which is so important, and I've had to relearn it at your feet, is time management. Oh yes, yes. I mean, it's so easy to go. Oh, you know, I'll remember that. No, you won't. <laughs> you won't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm going to do that later. No, we just had that conversation a bit ago, and in, in the virtual green room. I said, well, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to get this done. He said, yeah, you're going to get around to it. I know what around to it is. I have a wooden one. It's a little, (laughs) (laughs) and it says a to it on it. (laughs) So, I mean, I got called out before I even got on the show. I'm hurt. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right. I didn't write it down. I didn't make it a priority, but I did now. I opened up my day planner, my Ben K day planner, and it's in there now because I called myself out. You called me out. Good for you. Well, it's it's just crucial. I'm surrounded. I wish I could show you a picture. I have this today's calendar out Wednesday, August 16th with the things I'm going to do and the important ones highlighted, including this call. Uh, and then I have the 2014 calendar that I got a few months ago. So now I'm moving things I'm going to do up next year. I wrote down one that I was having lunch with somebody in December of 2024, Uh uh, hour to be determined, but it's highlighted and it's that time, roughly lunch is blocked out over a year in advance. And that goes back to what Dr. Hill taught me. 
you know, I, I, the, the one that triggered the comment that triggered it, he said to me, because Dr. Hill had had unhappy home lives, to uh, put it gently, three or four wives, two or three divorces, one annulment, kids not talking to him, um, and so on, his home life. Uh, he said he'd give up everything to have a happy home life, which he never really had. Maybe at the very end he did. I, I didn't know the, la the last lady. Um, but he said, uh, how are things going at home? He was busy. Oh, the reason he brought it up was I, I had just flown in from somewhere, was going to fly out to somewhere that afternoon, was running around from department to department who needs me to sign things and so on. And uh, he, he said, how's the home life going as busy as you are? And I said, oh, it's great. Uh, I just fit it into the nooks and crannies. And he says, oh, we found the problem. I said, what problem? You didn't know there was a problem, I bet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't. A lot of husbands don't. I'm just yep. going to throw that out there. Yeah, maybe some wives. I don't know. But uh, you're, you're probably right. 99.9% .9 of it is the male's fault or people who identify as males. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going there today, are we? <laughs> so anyway, Let's he go. said, get your calendar, which he'd already gotten me to get. And uh, he said, where do you go when, you know, what do you do when you take time off? And you and it was Marsha at the time. And I said, well, where we'd love to go is over to Mendocino, the rugged Northern California coastline. There's just something for me so relaxing. It's my life. favorite spot in California is well, the Mendocino coast. Yep. See the waves hitting those rocks. And yeah. It's just unbelievable. Our favorite place is the Heritage and or the Little River Inn. I've been going to both of them since I was six years old. So they like to kid me. I'm their oldest living customer. Nobody else can claim to have been there that long. And at the Little River Inn, we always stay in the same cottage. They built a new, bigger place, but they still have some of the old cottages. I stay in the same cottage that I first stayed in when I was six with my mother and father. So I just love that. And Dr. Hill said, how many times you get over there? And I said, well, we, we'd like to get over there three or four times. Last year, we got over once and, you know, started into the normal song and dance of the busy uh, self-important young executive. And he said, how many times would you like to go over there? And I said, I think I said four times. He says, all right, how long do you go when you go? Well, we like to go where we're there for at least four days. He said, good. Uh, he said, when do you want to go, you know, this year? We'll pretend like it was January. I really don't remember when the conversation was, but let's say it was January. He said, you want to go this month? And I said, sure. I said, so you leave Wednesday night, stay there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, come back Sunday night or Monday morning. I said, yeah. He said, write it on your calendar, block it out, highlight it. That, that's now locked up, that's sacrosanct. You don't take a speech on those four or five days. And I said, okay. And he said, we'll tell Marsha when we get home tonight that that's done. Now let's pick out the second weekend. And uh, won't drag you through all of them, but before we were done, we picked out four relatively evenly spaced weekends that were now off the table. No matter what happened, I was going to be with her. And, and towards the end of that, our young son, Ben the fourth, we're going to be together in Mendocino, no matter what. 
And then we started backing that down. When's date night, Ben? I said, well, I almost live in restaurants, so I've never really blocked out a date night. He said, no, no, you and your wife together date night. Nobody no else, kids. not not a business meeting. No children, no nothing. Yeah. Uh, I said, well, I don't know. He said once a week, I think would be nice. Uh, and uh, every 10 days or whatever. So we did a little work and pretty quick, we had 50 date nights in the calendar. And then uh, special events. He knew the dates of Valentine's, for instance. Uh, I didn't. Uh, Valentine's and the day before Valentine's, I wrote in the thing, order the flowers and so on. So pretty quickly, we blocked out my personal social life with my wife for a year in advance, and we never once violated it. And I said that was 30 some odd years ago. Uh, Gigi and I do that today. We know when we're going, how long we're going, nothing else interferes, et cetera. And then business-wise, you break down the week the same way. Uh, I, I do a lot of podcasts, this one being the most important one, uh, but I tend to do them. It's, it's not absolute if somebody has a specific thing that's really important to them. But when somebody asks me to be on the podcast, I say, give me two or three dates between on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, Monday, uh, very busy, usually Friday, I'm trying to be done. And uh, so Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I wake up at 4.30 in the morning, but I'm not an early to the office type person. So I want the podcast to start no earlier than 10 and a start time of the last one no later than 3, which goes to 4, 4.30. And then I'm pretty much free for the evening with family. So those get marked in. And now when I look at it, oh, and the other little secret with that, staying focused is to block. I don't do a podcast at 10 and another one at three. I do one at 10 and the next one at 1130. So they're back to back to back. So I'm not sitting around. I wouldn't be anyway, but I'm not sitting around drumming my fingers, killing two hours in between. It's like I have a friend who's a barber and I frequently would sit him walk in to my appointment and see him sitting there playing with his desk pad where I'm used to uh, his uh, computer pad where I'm used to walking to a barbershop and seeing someone else in the chair finishing up. And I said, where's your previous customer? Always oh, the first one wanted to be here at eight and then you're here at one. And no, 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 no. Exactly. No. I nope. said, no, no. If the first one, first of all, you decide when the first one is. They'll adjust if they need a haircut. And he did a good job. Everybody wanted to know how they got in on his client list. And then the second one is right up against it. Because if you don't have a third one that day, and of course he usually did, you can go home, go play golf. Exactly. You control your time and yeah. you control your focus. And right. if anybody's wondering why we're going from time management to focus to sales, there's an easy explanation. If you are, if you've got everything on your calendar, it's under control. You're not being distracted by, oh, God, he just saw the price sticker. Because your brain is shooting right. off all over the place. Yep. And, and you get really dependent on it. Uh, Gigi is forever asking me, 
uh, like today at 2.20 p.m. I'm to report to my doctor's office for my six months or once a year, make sure you're okay physical. This morning, she said, what time is your doctor's appointment? I said, I don't know. I'd have to look at my calendar. I was able to tell you, to, to tell you 2.20 now because I looked down and uh, there, there it is written and highlighted. I've now gotten in my brain without looking at my calendar. I don't take anything Wednesday morning because that's when we do our show. Right. And uh, so I, although it's written in weeks in advance and highlighted, that's one of the few things that if you say, can you, can we have a early lunch on Wednesday? I go, no, that Wednesday morning belongs to Denise Griffiths. Uh, but that, that again, because we do it every week, that's one of the few things I know yeah, without you know, looking at it. Exactly. Yeah. I don't even have to think about it either. You know, for the first week or two that we did this, I'd say, okay, oh, okay, I got it. I'd have to go look at my calendar. Yeah, like, sure. Today it's been woohoo, and off I go. <laughs> so, but yeah, you have to have that in order to maintain focus when you're when you're in a sales call or conversation, whatever it is, or, or you're trying to get a job. That's a sales job. You know, you're trying to sell them about you. But if you're thinking, what did I forget? Oh, geez. You know, do I have to go to the grocery store? Do I have a dentist appointment? Oh, yeah. geez, geez, oh, geez. You're not paying attention. You're not focusing and something important is going to slip right underneath you and knock you to the ground. Absolutely. So the, the blocking, the focus, uh, fly the plane, the focus, the discipline, et cetera, works in flying. Uh, it, I go back to flying for just a second on my, since I decided that, there are people who should not have guns. I'm one of them. Uh, and there are people who shouldn't fly airplanes. I'm one of them because my personality, you know, if I had a gun, I would not only not be afraid to shoot a burglar, I might go looking for a burglar. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that attitude. Yeah, yeah. It's like, so, why are you beating on my door? You're about yeah. to hurt. <laughs> I'm not going to just bloody your nose. I'm probably going to aim center. Go. Yes, I, I got this gun. I'm going to use it. You know. So, so uh, anyway, the the focus really is a, helps zero you in and eradicate other things, and it enables you to say, as I said this morning uh, to Gigi, I don't know when my doctor's appointment is. I know it's not at 10. That's Denise. I know Denise and I will be together for a little over an hour. And if I'm curious, then I will look up. And sure enough, there's Dr. Galang at 2.20 uh, and, and something beyond that and, and tomorrow. And I'd love to look back and, and see a note that I've made and highlighted and so on. And because of where it is in the calendar, know that I made it six months ago mm -hmm. uh, because I block out my time. I control my time. I can't control the world, but I can control my world, which is about a 20 foot circle around wherever I'm sitting or standing in that little environment. I decide who I'm with, what we're talking about, what we're doing what I will do and not do and so on. And with Gigi, I've, it's taken about 26 years, but Gigi is actually starting to say, no, 
to friends, because we work from an office wing in our home, friends who are retired or whatever think that she doesn't work. I've been there, done that. People, yeah. If you're working from home, you've got, you know, can you come grocery sh- to the grocery store with me? No, heck no. Yeah. You know, for starters, <laughs> I don't go grocery shopping. Walmart brings it to me. But, you know, I had to train people and there's a sign on my door that says, if you weren't expected or invited, don't knock and don't ring. And I mean it. Yep, exactly. Uh, we have a similar sign. We also have a doormat that said, go away, come back with wine. <laughs> <laughs> but but this if you come back with wine, <laughs> if you come back with wine, make sure you were invited yep. and expected. Uh, for a great example, we don't answer the door. If, I don't either. If you I, I really don't. Yeah, if you're wanted or expected, you got a, a reservation, invitation, whatever, and the doorbell rings, I'll uh, go find out what it is. That's probably happened twice in the year, in the last year, the other day. Somebody's at the front door ringing, which is right near our bedroom window. And uh, she just said, are you curious? I said, no. Did you invite anybody? Uh, Well, no. Are you expecting anyone? No. I said, I'm not curious. And she said, so should I turn down the television so they can't hear that we're here? I said, I don't care whether they know we're here or not. It's no. But I got Gigi now where she will actually say politely, because she's a sweet lady to her friends, no, uh, you know, I'd love to, but no. Or if she agrees to go to a lunch or something, it has to be in town where she can be there in five minutes, back in five minutes, out of the office for an hour and 15 minutes, maybe, uh, where her friends like to, let's drive up to Tahoe, that's 50 miles away, and uh, have lunch. And in the early years, Gigi would say, oh, okay, and scrap everything she had planned. She has now learned I had to take her uh, cheeks in my hand and sort of teach her how to form the word no. (laughs) That's my favorite word. I've told you this. My mom said I didn't say mama or daddy or dog or cat. She said my first word was no. And she said I said it with complete verve. She said there was no question that no meant no. Still does. And, And no is a complete sentence. Yes, it is. When I was working in and around prisons, uh, San Quentin, there was a lady who was a counselor of something. I don't know what she was. She should have been a prisoner, but she was a counselor. And behind her on her wall, she had a big sign that said, what part of no, don't you understand? Yeah. Because people were always coming in and asking for favors or special this or whatever. And the answer was by her job description, no. And going back to the door, half of my my front door is glass and, you know, the bottom is wood. And my dog doesn't bark at anybody if they're at the door, but my cats, Hamilton is an ass in particular. He's very tall and he's 20 pounds. He will grab the bottom of that window and he will snarl at whoever. (laughs) I actually got a a mail, my new mail lady left a note in the mailbox. She said, why does your cat hate me? I said, did you ring the doorbell? <laughs> she said, oh, yeah. Don't do that. You know? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but the only people who will ignore that as a rule are, take a wild guess, politicians. Oh, yeah. 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 And I have been known during the silly season because 
I'm mean this way. I will, you know, jack the blinds up so I can see who's coming and going. And they'll come trotting and bouncing up to my covered front porch. And, you know, I can tell they've got their little stuff, you know, their little flyers. And you can tell they're a politician. You can just tell by looking at them. And I'll point to the, you know, they'll ring on the doorbell. Look at me right now. And I'll point to the little sign. And they'll, they'll look again. And then at that point, I just gave them a little friendly one finger wave and I keep on going. <laughs> they don't ever get in. And one of them I knew, he's like, Denise, no, <laughs> he wasn't. Go- I wasn't going to vote for him anyway. <laughs> we had a, a guy, and this is odd for a sales trainer. I teach people how to sell a lot of our clients to do door to door work. Um, so I teach them some of the ways to get around things. But the main thing is a door hanger. If they need a new roof and you can see it from the street, yeah, a door hanger is ample. You need a roof. That's what we do. Call this number. All right. But one day, uh, some guy is right over our doorbell on a brass plate. It says no, no soliciting. Uh, the doormat says go away. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I haven't yet put up the sign I want to put up. You know, if you don't have an appointment, blah blah blah. Uh, Gigi said that's tacky so I gotta there's my next sales project convincing her it's not such a bad thing but anyway (laughs) this guy comes up ignores the no soliciting thing raps on the door ignores the fact nobody answered knocks on the door again and three or four times I I thought next he's gonna think we're not home and kick in the door and rob us uh, when I watched him go through his struggles, and then finally he went over to the side of the door to a window into the oh, room. Oh, no, and, no, no. Yeah, no. and started looking in the window. So I, I called the police, and I, and I said, we've got a problem here. My wife is in the process of getting dressed semi-naked. I think she was in her bathrobe, but whatever. And I got a peeping Tom looking in the window. We'll be right there, Mr. Gay. Uh, Two minutes later, guy pulls up and I knew what he was doing. He was trying to solicit something and uh, they came up. And so what's going on? And uh, he tells them their thing. And I, so I opened the door and I said, excuse me, it says no soliciting, et cetera. I wouldn't have called you if he'd knocked on the door, but then he started peeking in the windows and they said, what do you want us to do with him? And I said, do whatever you do with a peeping Tom. And they cuffed him up and drove away with him. I was never called to testify or anything. So I suspect he spent the night in jail and then was let loose. But word spreads among that slimy little crowd. We didn't have anyone knock on the door for a couple of years. I I suspect they all meet in a coffee shop. You know that house? They carry (laughs) chalk, you know, kind of like gypsies or... yeah. I know what you call them, but they, there's a little code that they write on your driveway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They will put a, a code out on the curb. Yeah. Well, we don't so have what, curbs, but yeah. on the driveway. But mine, I think, says leave her alone. She's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and I'm going to give you a reverse sales thing that happened to me not too long ago. I had my Walmart delivery. You know, I like Walmart. They do good deliveries. And I made the mistake of opening the door while it was being delivered because I needed to put something outside on the front porch. And this little guy, and he was doing a terrible job. He was thinking that he could haul four 30-pound boxes of litter 
with two hands and he busted two of them. So I was like, dude, you're going to have to clean that up and replace it. But anyway, he decides that my grass needed mowing. Well, it did. And he, you know, I said, yeah, I agree. Well, I can do it for you. And I, you know, I just ducked. I went right back into the house because I knew, I knew what was coming. So he brings over the rest of my groceries and right there where the sign is, don't ring, you know, blah, 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 blah. They're supposed to, as part of their job, take a picture of what was delivered and go away. Mm -hmm. He banged on the door. He rang the doorbell. Then he banged on the doorbell some more. It's a good thing I didn't have a gun because seriously, I was so irritated by this guy, but I was not going to let him bully me. And that's what he was trying to do. And he was a slimy little guy. You know, you just get a sense for people. I didn't want him in my driveway. I didn't even want him bringing another thing of litter. Just go away. He kept it up for the longest kind of time. And I finally called Walmart and said, you need to do something about this guy. And he was doing his best to sell me on. He was going to be my next yard guy. I was doing my best to get him arrested. <laughs> well, I'll give you some tips, tips of that in the future. <laughs> there, are, there are buzzwords police listen for, and <laughs> they will come out and visit with you. Uh, do whatever you do with a peeping Tom was the last phrase I uttered as they cuffed him and the way he went. He was selling windows, by the way. Uh, <laughs> the irony. <laughs> <laughs> You just never know. I mean, this little guy, he was just bound and determined. He was going to make me pay attention to him. And I thought, you will never be in sales. Never. You're pushy. You're obnoxious. You're about the size of a pencil, you know, (laughs) and I'm supposed to take you seriously that you're going to be doing. He was yelling through the door, you know, I can do the the mulching and I can do this. None of that was needed. I just needed somebody to mow it. And, you know, I can see that you need to have some branches taken down. Well, those are in the backyard. Were you in my backyard? So he got real <laughs> oh, creepy. Yeah. <laughs> he got real creepy real fast. That is not how you talk somebody into buying from you or hiring you. Well, as you know, the coin I, the term I coined many years ago was people buy from people they know, like, trust, and with whom they feel safe. Safe. He, he, yeah, he violated all four. Oh, he really did. Yeah. But but the thing is, and I remember thinking, I've got to tell Ben that story because this guy really was determined. And all I could think was, what are you out of drugs? I mean, what's going on? <laughs> I mean, that's really the first thing that came into my head. You know, I don't know if he was looking for gas money or he was going to go visit his friendly, you know, medication guy i don't know what he was gonna do but i couldn't get rid of him quick enough but that's not what you do so anyway we got a little bit aside so i was reading something in the the first chapter of the book well the second second uh second paragraph you're talking about john hyde who was the voice that you would hear on so many cassette programs, you know, back in the day. And you said he was a master closer by anybody's standards, but I love this. But he told me even he sometimes likened selling to performing brain surgery in the rear car of a speeding roller coaster standing up. (laughs) (laughs) I highlighted that. Yep. That makes perfect sense to me because you don't know what what's going to take your head off you don't know what you're supposed to be looking for or where it's coming from it's like the fires in, in on maui 
uh, er everything's fine and 45 minutes later your house is gone right so uh, you you just selling is filled with that there's another quote in that chapter as best i recall it's like flying flying is uh, hours of boredom interrupted by moments of stark terror uh, Again, Donner Pass. Do that during the snow when it's yeah. Yeah. You want stark terror? Do that at night. Yeah. So uh, there, I had started to say earlier in one of my flight lessons where I was teaching myself. I was qualified to solo and fly around, so instructor wasn't supposed to be with me. But he had told me not to do touch and goes. And, uh, you know, where you come in, it saves a lot of taxiing around while you're paying by the hour. Uh, you touch, you make a landing, and then you apply the throttle and go again. So you got to take off and landing all in about 20 seconds. And uh, he said, don't do those. They make sloppy pilots. So I asked him, when are you going to teach me how to do touch and goes? I don't. They make sloppy pilots. So I um, go out, I take off, I come around the field, and I look down, and he's in his white Jeep driving down the road to go to one of our local eateries where I knew he had breakfast. So I thought, okay, I'm unsupervised. He's gone. So <laughs> I, I went around the pattern and came back in to do a touch and go. And I didn't realize you hear how fast that is touch and go almost like it's one word. Right. I landed, did all the things you do when you're going to land, you know, unflared it and cut the throttle and everything. And then when I had all that done, I looked up and pushed the throttle to go. Instead of touch and go, it was touch, uh, read a magazine, go. And by the time I said go, I was too far down the runway to stop. And there was a mountain, a hill, but we're up in mountainous country, a hill in front of me filling the entire windscreen. And uh, I'm now, at the moment I saw that, I hear the tires hit gravel. I'm off the end of the runway. I'm in the over, whatever you call it, overrun area. I'm off the tarmac. But I remembered, back to focus, I remember Bob telling me, this plane, keep an eye on the, on the speed, because this plane will not fly unless it's 72 either miles an hour or knots, I forget, but it, it had a needle. And if it was under 72, the plane will not fly. And uh, so I looked at the glance, and all this is in a split second. I look up, I glance at my windscreen full of mountain and a house, a Spanish house up on the top. Uh, I hear the gravel under the plane, but it's 71. Or so I'm pressing on the throttle, finally hits to 72. I pull back. I miss the mountain, or we wouldn't be talking. I missed the house, but I flew through their front yard so low that I could look into their second story bedroom. And if I were an artist, I could draw the pattern of their bedspread. I was looking at the bedspread as I flew almost into their bedroom. So but, you, you were a peeping Tom. Yeah, I was a peeping Tom. If they could have <laughs> caught up with me, they could have cuffed me up. But it was focus in my head. Won't fly unless you're doing 72. No matter what else is going on around you, fly the plane, 72. At 72, I pulled gently back on the yoke and the son of a gun took off slowly, And but it cleared the yard. 
and out the other side. So that's a fly the plane moment also. It's also listen to older people who know what they're doing uh, lesson. I didn't do that. It was shortly oh, after that. You, you admitted it. Oh, and when I when I finished up my little self lesson, came in and landed, there's Bob Williams. And he said, well, how was your day? And I said, oh, it was fine. Not realizing that the crew that worked there in that building saw me go by at ground level, like an automobile. <laughs> they were down on the end of the runway. And of course they ratted me out immediately. But to show how cool I was, I poured a cup of coffee and then put it up to my mouth to drink. And that's when my hand started shaking like it was on a vibrator and I threw coffee all over me. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> laughing. I'm, I'm yeah, laughing with yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> he said, do you want to discuss touch and goes again? I said, no, I'm done. <laughs> I have done my last touch and go. Well, and I'm looking, I'm going to be laughing all day long. At the, the end of this chapter, you see in the Air Force, they have a saying, which I think is apropos here, never run out of altitude and ideas simultaneously. Right. You learned that lesson. Yeah, that came from a dear friend of mine who told me about it. Uh, Danny Cox, who was a speaker in the real estate industry. And uh, he also told me another thing that, he said, Ben, when you're in, he was a fighter pilot. He said, do you know how to, you, do you know how to tell when you're in a room with a fighter pilot? And I said, no. He said, he will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. But yeah, never run out of altitude and ideas simultaneously. And I had just about, with about three feet to spare, run out of both. And Bill Patrick, my boss and friend, mentor, uh, didn't react that quickly and went right in the side of a mountain with a P-51. He, I don't know what he got distracted by or what happened, but he was full bore when he hit the mountain. I, I hate to even hear that. I mean, I know it happened. And I remember after we talked about it one time, I went and read about it. But Oh, boy. You, you just lose focus. Losing focus can kill you. Yep. It can lose you the sale or it can kill you or both. Correct. Well, the the uh, fly the plane sun has a lot of meaning, but there are people who uh, my favorite chapter in that book is sales infiltration at the right. end of the book. But there are people, Tony Rubaleski, who's a prominent sales trainer and so on. He's a uh, friend of mine. We, okay. we all know Tony. Well, I never see Tony or talk to Tony. The first thing out of his mouth is, I say, hi, this is Ben Gay. He says, just fly the plane, son. <laughs> <laughs> so for some reason that really struck home with him. We've all had moments where that really strikes in. And control your time. We touched on that. Control mm -hmm. your life. You don't have to be dictatorial. You just set up boundaries. I know there are jackasses in the world, but you're not allowed to be a jackass within 20 feet of me or on our property or in our house or wherever. I don't care what you do on your own uh, or in the privacy of your own home. But in my little world, uh, we will do podcasts between this time and this time. We will not see each other these four long weekends a year because Gigi and I will be in Mendocino. We will not do this on date night. No, you may not join us. We're in a restaurant on date night a week or so ago, and a guy who I really like 
and Gigi's known longer than I have. He comes up to tell me, he said, oh, hi, how are you? I didn't know you were going to be here. Do you mind if we join you? And I said, yeah, I do. If I wanted you to join us, I would have invited you two or three days ago. Right. This is date night. He goes, oh, okay. And he was momentarily offended, but later he tapped me on the shoulder and smiled. He got it. You know, so. And you listen, a lot of people don't know how to say no. And when I tell you it's my favorite word, I'm not kidding. I use yeah. it a lot. I tell myself no. I'm probably the worst offender of no, Denise. <laughs> Bad Denise, no. <laughs> this will not turn out well, Denise. Yeah. Don't do it. Oh, darn it. She did it. <laughs> but, and I always regret it. You know, when, when I know that no is the proper response and I go against that, I will pay for it. Yep. I will. And always. I, you know, we're going to go back to focus. I lose focus. I'm irritated. I'm cranky. I can't figure out what I was supposed to do next. Everything just kind of falls apart if you don't have that balance and that focus and that structure structure. So that's really what we're talking about in sales here. You have to internally be strong enough to say, this is how I do it. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm not going to accept. But if you need me to sell you a Rolls Royce, I'm going to give you the best day of your life because I am focused on you and I'm focused on that car. And more importantly, I'm I'm more focused on what's in it for you, not what's in it for me. And I think that's where a lot of sales processes just do like this poor guy from Walmart. I would imagine he got fired. I don't think I was the first one he tried to do this with. Uh, He will regret the rest of his life calling on you. Probably so. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just distraught over that. (laughs) But anyway, it is what it is. Wrapping up in in just a word or two, what we've been talking about with the focus and the discipline and the calendars and so on, systematize things so you don't have to think about them. Each one's not an emotional decision. It's in the system. Uh, And I don't, it can be the most petty little things, uh, but there, you know, there's things you do on Wednesdays or things you do on uh, at nine o'clock at night or whatever. Systematize everything. And uh, one of the biggest laughs I ever got, you may want to edit this out, but it's not that bad. I was doing the, uh, <clears throat> you schedule your day, you train the people around you how to uh, treat you and how to behave and so on. And so if you call a sales meeting that, Eight o'clock in the morning, uh, lock the door at 8.01, and they don't get in. And they'll only get locked out of two or three sales meetings in their life, and then they'll start showing up at 7.45 uh, and so on. So do this, do this, do this. I'm telling this crowd. And uh, some guy finally, I was talking about systemization, locking the door making sure people understand when you say eight o'clock in the morning, you mean eight o'clock in the morning or on Lombardi time, you mean 745 when you say eight and uh, so on. He said, do you schedule everything? And I said, just about, he said, do you schedule time to uh, make love to your wife? And I said, well, yeah, yeah, of course there are nights, days, mornings, whatever that that's scheduled. He said, what if she's late? And without, I'm with, sorry. without thinking, I said, <laughs> I start without her. And oh that, that was the biggest laugh I've ever gotten in front of a crowd per person. 
and uh, it, and I got to enjoy it with them because I didn't know what I was going to say. I was in one of those alliterations, you know, what if they're late to the sales meeting, start without them. What if so-and-so, start without them, blah, blah, blah. What if your wife's late, start without them. <laughs> okay, now I can't work for the rest of the day. I'm, running. <laughs> I'm just done. But when that one came out, I, I thought of you this morning. I was reading something somebody had posted, and it said, do you know that little voice inside you that says, don't say that next sentence? Yeah, I don't have that I, I, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that sense. I don't have one of those. And as soon as I read that, A, I laughed, and B, I thought of you and me, because neither one of us has it. No filters. Um, and I warn people, listen, I don't really, I'm not, I'm an introvert. That doesn't mean I'm shy and I don't have any filters. <laughs> yeah. So don't ask me anything you really don't want the answer to, because I'll tell you mm-hmm. and you may not like it. I'm warning you right now. Well, listen, before we, we've got, oh, just a couple minutes, where can people find more about your mentoring program and tell people where they can get the sales Bibles, the closers. Mentoring program. Uh, just shoot me an email and, and say something that makes me understand you're interested in that. And I will send you uh, uh, a letter that describes how it works and so on <clears throat> and financing if you need it and so on. Uh, and my email is B as in Ben, F as in Frank, G as in Gay, three. That's the number three. So BFG3 at DirectCon, D I. R-E-C-T-C-O-N, short for direct connect, dot net. Send me an email, say something about mentoring, give me a clue. As for the books, you can get them uh, signed and dated uh, with an unconditional lifetime money back guarantee with special pricing and free shipping at stores. S-T-O-R-E-S dot eBay dot com forward slash all one word Ronzoni books, R-O-N-Z-O-N-E-B-O-O-K-S. In by 2 p.m., they go out the same day, Monday through Saturday, Pacific time. So you'll get them real quick. And then you'll have the hymnal that Denise and I teach out of uh, as we go along. Get at least closers parts one and two. But when you go to that site, you'll see several books, all of which I either wrote, published, edited, and endorse. And we'd love to have you be part of the family. Now, how do they find out about mentoring with you, young lady? I am actually, I actually have something to say. And I posted this on Facebook and LinkedIn last night. And the question is, do you want to be the podcast guest, not the host, the guest that everybody's clamoring to have on their show? Listen, there's a lot of people who can teach you for better or worse how to be a host. When I started, there was maybe nine other people in the arena. Now there's hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there and everybody's saying, oh, I can teach you how to do that. You know, blah, 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 blah. But nobody seems to be talking about how do you show up as a highly sought after, high value guest? So I'm here to tell you how to do that. And I've been podcasting, like I said, for 15 years. And I know a bit about what makes a guest shine and how to get invited back again and again. And then I will introduce you to other well-known podcasters as well. So shoot me a PM on 
Facebook or LinkedIn, or drop me an email at support at yourofficeontheweb.com. That's my primary website, support at yourofficeontheweb.com. And I will help you get your voice heard. And that is crucial uh, in the drip marketing world. Uh, the more you can get out there and just be heard. And, and I'm forever getting things, Denise, where uh, are you still offering that special? Well, what special? Well, you were on a radio program with, with uh, you know, Phil and the Bruce Norris or somebody. Well, I was on Bruce Norris's show 20 years ago his radio program when we first met each other. I still, not a bunch, but I still get three, four calls a month off that show from 20 years ago. And since then, I've been on hundreds of podcasts, this one being the most important in my life because of of my (laughs) respect for you. Well, it's my respect for you. uh, And uh, you you draw my kind of people. Uh, But it's the cumulative effect. It's like a snowpack. If you can get on and uh, immortalized on uh, uh, 15 or 20 podcasts, you'll start noticing a significant difference in your business. And then that's the ones you'll notice. Then there's things going on that you don't know about. You know, somebody calls and says, I heard about you. They don't say I heard about you on a podcast on December 11th or whatever. It's just you've become part of the wallpaper of the sales world if you're in selling. And so I just it's can't. Marketing, yeah, it's marketing 101 these days. If you can't get your voice heard, you're right. standing still. Truly you are. And, and if I uh, didn't know anything about the business, and I'm pretty close to that now, not knowing anything about the business, I would go as I did to Denise to ask for guidance and help. Uh, and she gives freely. Uh, is an expert, and I highly recommend her. If you want to be a host, talk to her. If you want to be a guest, talk to her. Thank you, Ben. I really appreciate that, and I love what I do. I mean, this is it's really a passion project for me. This podcast always has been, but I get to meet people like you and people from all over the world, and it makes my day. So thank you. Before we say goodbye, I would we're about to run out of time any minute. I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes. Listen, we're in iTunes, we're on Audible, we're on Stitcher. Anywhere else you consume your business podcast, just look for your partner in Success Radio. That will lead you to the Inner Circle podcast and take us along on your success journey. Ben, thank you. What are we going to talk about next week? Do we have any idea? Uh, I would suggest, I don't know about anything you want, but I would suggest I've got a few emails that have piled up. And by the way, I gave you that email address to ask about mentoring. That email address will also work for submitting questions to us, things that you'd like to hear on future broadcasts. But I've got uh, uh, several really good questions lined up. We could do a whole show on just answering those. Perfect. And I am part of the thing that I said, I'll get around to it. I'm going to do it. I actually is, I'm going to try to do it today. Tomorrow at the absolute outside is go to denisegriffiths.com. And this is where I put all of my stuff, Ben's stuff. And I'm going to put a form on there where you can ask us questions and we'll do our level best to answer them every week. Ben, thank you. Go forth. Tell Gigi hi for me. I shall know that we love you and respect you and 
uh, look forward to next week. Thank you. Right back at you.